0: If you have your Bible with you, uh, please uh, open to uh, the uh, Book of Psalms, Psalm 100. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that will be on page 500, 500 in the pew Bible. Psalm 100, Psalm 100. This is uh, titled uh, a Psalm of Thanksgiving, a Psalm of Thanksgiving. Let us uh, hear the words of Christ to us this morning from this psalm. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who was, who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, we come before you, Father, thanking you for revealing yourself to us and the work of creation, the work of your hands, as we can see the creation and marvel of what you have done, but also uh, how you have revealed yourself in the person and the work of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are uh, thankful. We are grateful, Father, for uh, the great things that you have done in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and also how you have revealed to us your will in your word And we praise you, Father, as you have inspired your word. You have given to us uh, your word for our profit, for our benefit. You have given to us your doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the men of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we thank you, Father, for uh, your word. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit may work in us. That your spirit may lead us into understanding and also that we may not only hear your word, but believe it and cling to Christ more and more by faith. And so we pray all these things in your glorious name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 100. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a day and an age where... Uh, Individualism is uh, more uh, pervasive than ever uh, in the history of uh, mankind. And if you notice, uh, the idea of uh, the individual above the group, above uh, the rest, above the collective, is uh, is an idea that has made its inroads even into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we hear people talking about the age of the iPhone and uh, the iPad, and uh, my space, and uh, people even speak the, in, with Christian lingo about my personal relationship with Jesus, my personal quiet time. This is uh, uh, my interpretation or my decision for Christ. And uh, even in, in more recent years, uh, as we have faced different challenges, uh, people have uh, uh, increased in the uh, in in neglecting what is uh, described in this psalm as corporate worship and have a replace or uh, find a substitute for public corporate worship through live streaming services or uh, uh, podcasts uh, where you can find uh, uh, your favorite celebrity uh, preacher and and hear uh, his uh, teaching through uh, uh, the comfort of your home. Also, the increase in uh, personal uh, Bible studies and uh, uh, and different things uh, uh, that people claim even, even claiming that they have their own private ministry. And so all of this come at the expense of public worship and the degradation of the call that the Lord gives to us of public worship. And the good news is that the Holy One of Israel, the Lord, our Savior, our God, our Creator, by His grace, He has dealt with us individually, specifically with each one of us, and He has saved us head by head individually, those who belong to the church of the Lord. But He also has placed us in the group. He has placed us in His church, in the church of the elect. And so as we come to Him, We worship him as a community of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as the visible church. And we know that the Lord continues to gather his church. He gathers his elect from all the corners of the earth to worship him in corporate worship. And in Christ, uh, the Apostle Peter tells us by inspiration of the Spirit that we are God's special people who have been delivered out of darkness into His marvelous light with the purpose of proclaiming His praises, of proclaiming His praises. And so we praise Him, we worship the Lord, and worship is an expression of recognition that we have for who God is. We recognize and give to Him, expressing to God His supreme power, His supreme glory, His supreme majesty. And so we acknowledge him to be the only creator and the only redeemer of the world who has revealed himself in his word and also in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so worship is the purpose of our salvation. We are saved to worship. And also we are created to worship him. We are made for worship. And so we live to worship God. And this psalm has a beautiful description of the Public, corporate worship of the people of God gathering together to express the worship of God, our Savior. And this is the reason why we gather one day out of seven as the Lord has commanded us in his word to worship his holy name as his people. This is uh, something that is a mystery for the world. They don't understand what we do, but the Lord calls us. And He calls all men, as the title of this sermon, He calls all men to respond to His call to worship. And even with our limitations, with our imperfections, we still get a foretaste as we practice together every Lord's Day. We look forward to that day in which we will be in the presence of the Lord. This is a foretaste of the worship that will be done and performed without ceasing before the throne of God in all eternity. And so this psalm is a very familiar psalm for uh, most of us, the uh, f- famous all uh, uh, 100, or the all people that on earth do dwell. And so the, we sing this psalm in, uh, in, uh, in, with uh, grace in our hearts, and we remember the public a call to worship that the Lord uh, gives to people everywhere. And so this morning, with the Lord's help, we will consider five things from this, uh, from this psalm. We'll consider five things. Uh, first of all, we'll consider that the Lord calls all men to worship Him. He calls all men to worship Him. Notice in verse 1, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands... This psalm is a is a, is part of a group of a, or a cluster of psalms from Psalm 93 all the way to Psalm uh, 100. And 100 is the last one of these uh, uh, theocratic songs. Uh, uh, these songs that celebrate the, the the triumph, the victory of this great king who has been enthroned, who is the maker of heaven and earth, and he sits on the throne. And this is what this, all these Psalms, uh, if you begin in Psalm 93, verse 1, this is what it tells us. The Lord reigns, he is clothed with majesty. Your throne is established from old. Psalm 95, for the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. Psalm 96, verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Psalm 98, Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. And now we come to Psalm 100. is the finale of uh, all this collection of psalms, a celebration. And the celebration takes place as the Lord, the King of heaven and earth, calls all the peoples of the earth to worship his holy name. What can be more beautiful and more excellent than that? Your loved ones. And you see the Lord calls all the peoples of the land. This is what the psalmist tells us in verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. The Hebrew word here refers to the earth, all the lands, all the peoples who inhabit the land, all the rational creatures who inhabit the earth are called to worship the Lord, to raise their voices, shouting joyfully to God. And you see that this is a command you can even see from the English translation, make a joyful shout. It's just a one word in Hebrew, but it's translated in three words uh, in in um, in English, where you see a, make a joyful shout to the Lord. And you see this is a command, it's an imperative, and we have seven of them, seven commands in this short psalm. And as you see, this is a command, it's not a It's not simply an invitation. It's not a suggestion. This is a command to worship the the triumphant king. Shouting, celebrating the victory of this king. In a sense, the, the Lord is calling all the peoples of the earth from all four corners of the globe to come together in public worship, to raise their voices and say, Long live the king. Long live the king. Especially as we see this king In Jesus Christ. So this is a command that bears the authority of God himself. Notice that here you see the the translation shows you that the, the, the psalmist is using the covenant name of God. Lord with capital letters. Referring to the covenant God of Israel. This is the covenant God. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The one who is holy the one who is unchangeable, who is perfect in all his ways. And he uses the same name in verse 3, the Lord, the Lord, the covenant God. And you can see here in the background of this psalm in verse 1, the authority of the king summoning his subjects, summoning his people, calling all peoples to appear before him. And so you must appear, you must respond, you don't have a choice. And I think this is perhaps hard for us to grasp the intention of the Lord as he communicates in verse 1, because we don't live under a monarchy even though somebody rules over us. We don't have a monarch, we don't have a king. But in the times of a king, you have the authority bestowed to a king to exercise his power, to call people. And that people that is called by the King, they need to appear before Him. You don't have a choice. And so you and I must answer this call to worship. And this is why we begin the service every Lord's Day with a call to worship. It's not just because it is a filler or we need something to do, but it's because the Lord gathers His church every Lord's Day to worship His holy name. He gathers His people to worship Him. And so we begin with the authority of God Himself extending His call to every every creature on the earth, every person in the world to respond to His calling. And it's a command. And also notice that the the kind of response that is expected in in this command. Make a joyful shout, or a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth or all you lands. You see that the Lord expects for us to respond to this call as we hear His voice, to attend His call engaging in worship with body, mind, soul, and strength with all of our being. So we're to be paying attention in active and, and actively participating in the worship service. This is why the Lord calls all the peoples not simply to respond with a shout, but notice that the shout is qualified by the Lord by saying that we must come with, uh, to, to Him with a joyful shout. It is a joyful, royal shout expressing his, uh, expressed by His joyful people. Because we are called to be a joyful people in the Lord. Because in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And we enjoy the joy of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so you say in our day and age, even uh, the mindset of many people in, uh, in churches is that we are not coming to church to participate, to be participants in worshiping the Lord. So people say, well, that's the reason why we pay uh, so-and-so to do that for us. And uh, you see uh, people come with the mindset that they're going to be spectators. They're going to be having fun, being entertained by what is they see and what they hear. But the psalmist tells us here right off the bat that we are coming to be participants. We must come with a heart that is prepared also for the occasion. We must have this awareness that we are coming uh, uh, to praise the Lord, that we're in the presence of God. And so notice that we are commanded here to come with a right attitude before the Lord. We come joyfully, the psalmist tells us. And this is something that sometimes is overlooked, isn't it? Our attitude on how we worship. How many times we come to worship the Lord with the wrong attitude, with a joyless attitude, with the wrong heart, with the wrong disposition. So, dear loved ones, we need to remember that we are coming to worship the Lord. And also, we need to remember, keep in mind who we are coming to worship and why we're coming to worship Him remember that the Lord has given to us in His grace, in His kindness, the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit that produces joy. He is the one who indwells us, and He gives to us the joy of our salvation. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And we must rejoice because the Lord is God and because He has done great things. I remember as a little kid I used to get so excited when I used to uh see and meet uh, maybe a famous uh musician or a famous uh soccer player I used to uh basically I had the opportunity to uh to be standing next to some of them and just kind of looking at them as a little kid you know uh, and I was amazed I was thrilled by the fact that I was uh, there with somebody at the time that we didn't have cell phones uh but uh, uh, we could have taken pictures if that was the case, but I, I, I tried to get a piece of paper to get their signatures because I was so excited to, to be next to somebody who was famous and uh, that was perhaps looking on TV or, um, or a couple of times, a couple of uh, presidents uh, that happened to be in the, in the same area where, where I was. And so you get excited, you get thrilled, and then you tell your friends, you tell people around you, during the week, uh, oh, I, was, I met so-and-so, and it was so exciting. He signed a piece of paper for me, or he talked to me. But also the other cases, like, uh, at times, you're standing next to somebody who perhaps is well-known in his circle or uh, is a famous person, but you have no idea who that person is. And so you may be standing next to that person, and you don't know who that person is, so it, it really doesn't mean anything to you. I remember uh, uh, th- uh, one of our relatives, uh, Sarah's uh, grandfather, um, he uh, had the opportunity to be having breakfast with the Dalai Lama. And uh, everyone uh, back in the 80s, 90s, everyone knew about the Dalai Lama. And uh, he was having breakfast with this person, very popular, you know, from Tibet and uh, very uh, famous for his uh, different uh, 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 kind of statements on peace and so, so forth. But he was having breakfast with the Dalai Lama. And uh, he had no idea who this person was. And so he told his wife, uh, Sarah's grandmother, yeah, I had breakfast with, uh, with, with, with this person. As, as they were leaving the hotel, he saw him again. And this person said, okay, goodbye, Frank. And uh, Sarah's grandfather said, yeah, I had a person with him. Do you know who that person is? And he said, no, I have no idea who that is. Oh, that's the light Lama. He still didn't have a a clue who the person was. But uh, that's what happens with us. We may be in the presence of somebody who is famous or important. And that doesn't mean anything to us. And at times, this is how we respond to the worship of God. And people respond in this way to the God of all creation. We are in the presence and called by the God and King of the universe. So what can be greater and better than that? How many times do you tell people on Mondays when you go to work or you go to school or in your neighborhood even or in your family on Mondays? So oh, I met with God yesterday and it was amazing. I met with the Lord. I was with the living God on Sunday. On the Lord's day. How many times will we talk like that? We don't talk like that, right? That's the way that we should talk. That's what the psalmist is is inviting us to remember. That we are in the presence of God. That this is something that is not trivial. It's not mundane. It's amazing to be in the presence of the Lord. And the King of all creation. And He calls us by His grace to worship Him. And so notice that He calls all men to worship Him. But notice also secondly that the Lord creates all men. To be worshippers, to render worship to Him. Notice in, in verse 3. Know that the Lord He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Notice what the, the psalmist is doing here. He is now presenting this God in the sense of being a creator. He's the creator of all the universe the creator of all the things that exist, visible and invisible. So notice here that he begins with the scope that is broad. The Lord is calling every man to come and to worship his holy name. It's not uh, worship, yes, for Christians, but every man, as Paul says that he's calling every man to repent everywhere. He's also calling uh, every human being to come and to meet with him. To, go, to come into his presence believers and unbelievers. Because the unbeliever will be held accountable. He has no excuse. He has been called by God to worship him. and has been created for this purpose. So they are without excuse. And this is why the free gospel, uh, the free offer of the gospel goes to all men, to all peoples without discrimination. And notice here in verse 3 that the Lord... Re- Reminds us of who he is. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Notice here that the psalmist now addresses our minds because worship begins by knowing who God is. In other words, worship begins with the mind and what you know and not by what you feel. See, we worship knowing and not feeling. Feeling may be a, a byproduct. But we come to know God. This is why he calls us. Because we cannot worship God in ignorance. You see, when people worship God in ignorance, they, what they do is they end up worshiping themselves. You see, ignorant worship is just an expression of man's sinful desires. Because sinful men deify what they love with their hearts, love their idols. And so it's a, this is the, the sinful idolatry that is expressed from the natural man. And this is what you see in pagan religions. In pagan religions, uh, all of them, you find that it's an expression of what the love of their hearts is. Basically, the idolatry of their hearts is expressing their idols. And this is why the regulative principle of worship is so important. Perhaps it's a term that you are not too familiar with, but it's an important uh, uh, description of how we worship God. And the essence of the regulative principle of worship is that the Lord tells sinners how to approach Him. We don't create worship. We don't create ways to worship God. The Lord tells us how to approach Him, how to worship Him. And if you remember, the, the heart of the sinful man is described in Paul's visit to the Athenians. In Acts chapter 17, he tells of the men men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. He proclaimed Christ Jesus to those people who were idolaters. And we all by nature are idolaters. Because we have exchanged the worship of the creator for the worship of the creature. And you see that men are worshiping idols every day from the day of their birth. And you may think, well, I don't have statues of a Buddha in my house, or I don't have a statue of the Virgin Mary, or I don't have a any statues of wood or stone at home. But you see, that's not the problem. Idols are everywhere. And in fact, our hearts, the sinful heart, is, is, a, is a factory of idols. It's a factory of idols. And so people are in, in no way are neutral before the Lord. You're either worshiping God or you worship something else. But there's no, nothing in between. You're on one side or the other. And the question is, what and who do you worship? See, some people worship work, which takes over their lives. And in fact, many times it gets either in, in the way of worshiping, in public worship on the Lord's Day, Other worship sports, music, entertainment, the almighty dollar, right, here in America, uh, everywhere in the world, really, but that's kind of part of the American dream. Other worship politics, houses, cars, relationships. You may even worship your family, your children, or even your grandchildren. You say the way you look, the way you uh, eat, your diets, your exercise... All of that uh, is, is the expression of a heart that is following or worshiping something other than God. See, our heart's expression of idolatry is... The list can go on and on. It's, but you don't have to em- embrace all of these idols to be an idolater. You can just have one, and if, even if you have one... It is a replacement and a transgression of the first commandment. That you shall have no other gods before me, says the Lord. So we must know the God of creation. We must know him. We must know him as the covenant God. Notice notice also here as verse 1, the capital letters in the word Lord. Know that the Lord, he is God. And in fact, he uh, uses two words in reference to God He refers God as the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who keeps his promises and who is faithful, the God everlasting. But also notice that he is God, and the word for God here is the word Elohim, which is the same word that is used in, in the act of creation, in the work of creation, that God performed in the beginning. And so this is the sufficient reason for us to pay attention to verse 1, to the call of worship. You see, the call to worship is based on this sufficient and only reason why we must hear and take heed to the call to worship. Because He is God. He alone is God. And the question is, is that a sufficient reason for you? The God, the only true and living God, is calling you to worship? See, he's the great I am. He's the Lord God. We worship a great king, a great Lord, who has revealed himself in his word, so that you may know that he is the only God and the author of all that exists. That's why he tells us it is he who has made us and not ourselves. See, the Lord reminds us that he is the one who formed us. He's the one who made us. He designed us. And why is he telling us this? Well, in our day and age, we have a lot of different uh, philosophies and teachings out there against this very uh, truth of this very doctrine. The teaching of evolution and uh, some uh, kind of a strange way to come in, in, in this world, the Big Bang and all of that. But the Lord here is reminding us of the act of creation, that he made all things, and also he made us. He made us in his image. And so he's encouraging us and helping us in moving our hearts to worship him. Perhaps you ask the question, how is he doing all these things? Well, he's steering in our hearts a humble spirit, and also a heart of gratitude. When we see that he is our creator, that he's our maker, that He's the creator of all the things that exist, but especially our creator, our maker. It should lead us to gratitude because He is our maker, He is our God, the only true and living God. But just imagine also if, if the Lord gives this so that we may have a, an attitude of gratitude, right? Just imagine how a grumbling attitude, a discontent heart and a complaining spirit only shows the opposite, a heart of ingratitude. And an ungrateful heart doesn't fit with what the Lord is telling us here, right? It doesn't fit with the worship of God. It doesn't befit the presence of this Lord and King. And so the psalmist is communicating to us that we were made by Him. For him, to know him, and to worship him. That's why Paul writes in Romans 11 For from him, and through him, and to him are all things, and to him be glory forever. Amen. And this is actually what reminds us of the first question and answer of the Shorter Catechism, right? A very well known question and answer. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to. Glorify God, which is to praise Him, to worship Him, right? And to enjoy Him, to find joy in Him forever. And So the question that remains to be answered is now that we know that the Lord calls us to worship, that He has created us to be worshipers. How can we know Him personally to worship Him? And notice here that the Lord saved us. The Lord saved us to render worship to Him. The Lord saves us to render worship to him. Notice in, in verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. See, he goes from being or describing and revealing himself as a creator to describing and revealing himself as a redeemer, as a savior. This is a wonderful statement that helps us to look at the history of redemption. Why why did the Lord create? Why did the Lord create uh, mankind to worship Him? Notice that this is not only a description of the God of creation, but the God of recreation. He is a Savior. He's the one who made us and remade us in Christ Jesus. And he remade us to do what we were created to do, to worship him, to praise the glory of his grace so that we may proclaim his praises as he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so how did he save us? This is the next question. Jesus is the one who is referred here in, the script, in, in all the scriptures as the ultimate shepherd. If you remember, the, uh, the stories of uh, the Old Testament all have in mind this shepherd, this shepherd king. Even in all the Psalms uh, that we were uh, citing at the beginning from 93 to 100, have in mind this Lord King, the, the Lord King who is also a shepherd, as he tells us here. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so the implication of this is that we have a great shepherd, as uh, described in the book of uh, Hebrews, the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the one who came to lay down his life for the sheep. And so here we find this good shepherd who has bought us with his precious blood through his work on the cross, through the blood of the eternal covenant. He said he has brought us to be the sheep of His pastures. Isn't that beautiful, that relationship that exists? You see, this is is not a God who is distant. This is a God who is close to us, who has come so that we may be His people. That's why the Lord tells us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we belong to Him, and the Lord leads us by His Word and Spirit, with all His wisdom, Beside the still waters and in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, ultimately everything is for him, for his glory, for his name's sake. And fourthly, notice here that the Lord also teaches us how to worship him. The Lord calls us to worship him. The Lord also creates us to be worshipers. He saves us to worship him. And now also he teaches us how to worship him. Notice here in verse 2, the command, another command in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. And then the next command, come before His presence with singing. Come, serve. And notice also in verse 4, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful, another command, be thankful to Him and bless His name, another command. So the Lord gives to us all these commands, serve, come, enter, be thankful, bless. You see, there's no room for ignorance here, for human ingenuity on how to worship him or for creativity on our part. All these commands are related on how we are to engage our minds and hearts and bodies and souls in the worship of our Lord. And notice here that he begins with serve him. I think that's that's what we call a, the the worship service, a service to the Lord. We serve Him in worship. It's the same word, a, a word that de- describes a slave or a servant in rendering service to his master. And notice that we come here and the Lord tells us that He expects for us again to be actively engaged in worship. There's no time for snoozing right in the worship of god it requires that you be prepared for it that you look forward that you look forward to worshiping our lord and king because this is something special when you have a, you're in the presence or doing something that is really special you're not sleepy right you are very uh, attentive you're uh, you're actively engaging what's going on. And notice that this is uh, the call to worship. It's not just a nice suggestion. We see all the commands. This says, serve, come, enter, be thankful, bless, make a joyful shout. All these are commands. They're not suggestions. This is not like an invitation to a baby shower, right? That you can take it or leave it. No, this is, this is a, a command. This is a, a divine mandate, a directive from the Lord. See, the Lord is not coming to us saying, oh, I'm so sorry that I'm, I'm bothering you, but uh, you know, it will be nice if you can come to worship me. See, the Lord is not telling us, I'm so sorry that I'm interrupting your busy schedule. I know you are busy, you know, I know you have a lot, of, a lot going on in your life, you have a lot to do, but if you have time, Why don't you come and worship me? No, that's not what is pictured here. That's not what the Lord is saying. He's commanding people to worship him. This is the king who has the authority to command people to come and and render worship worship to him. That's why the Lord commands his his, uh, uh, church to worship. And he commands this and this, all these commands, serve, come, enter, be thankful, bless. Because this is a preview. This is a preview of heaven. This is a foretaste of the heavenly worship that is taking place in all eternity. Where the angels, the myriads of angels are, uh, angels are surrounding the throne of God already. And all the saints are already made perfect. And so the, the person who finds the worship boring unattractive, trivial, casual, optional, mundane, burdensome, is perhaps a person that is not fit for heaven. Just think about that. Notice it also here, the progression, as we see how the Lord teaches us. To worship Him. Notice the progression and the commands. We are instructed by the Lord to enter, to go in, to go in before His presence, to enter His gates, to enter His courts, because we are His people. And notice all the personal possessive pronouns. They're His, everything is His. Go into His presence through His gates. Through his courts, because we are his people, the sheep of his pastures. So this is the kind of language that we have to present ourselves before the face of God. That's actually what the verb means, to come before the presence of God. It means to come before the face of God. And we are able to come before the face of God through the face of Jesus Christ. That's how the only way that we can come and stand before this God who calls us to worship him. We present ourselves through the provision that He has made in His Son, the one who has condescended to us to come and to be the sacrifice that is making this for us possible. Notice that we are entering the language that you see here in this verse. It's the language of the temple, right? The palace of God where the Lord sits when He's enthroned, where His presence abides. The language here is of the true temple. And we know by what the Lord tells us in John 4 that He is the temple. He is the true temple. And so we come to God, to the Father, through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Spirit. Because He is the one who has opened the way for us. He's the new and living way. He has earned access for us. And so that's why we come to His presence with the attitude... Mentioned here in in verses 2 and 4, we come not with a demonstration of sadness, but with gladness. We come with singing, but not with grumbling. We come with thanksgiving and not with ingratitude. We come to praise His name and not to blame. And so we are called to come and to be thankful to the Lord with heart and tongue. And to bless His name. Knowing that he who did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, this is possible because of the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. To praise the Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has granted to us this access into his presence. That's how we can come into and See and, and gaze into the, and behold the face of our God through Jesus Christ. Notice lastly here that in verse 5, For the Lord is good, His mercy, his mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. The Lord reminds us here why, and not only how we are to worship Him, but also why we are to worship Him. This shows to us the grounds or the basis for His worship. You see, in verse 3, the Lord addressed our minds. He directed our minds to knowing Him. But notice now in verse 5, the Lord also involves and warms our hearts with a sense of awe and adoration. Because He's not only a distant God. He's not the God of those who claim that He's a creator, but He's out there. He's far from His creation. But this is a God who is involved with his people. Notice the language here for the Lord is good. His mercy. And actually the the translation of his mercy here is his covenant love. This is the chesed. His covenant love is everlasting. The covenant love that he expressed to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob is everlasting. It, It never ends And His truth, His faithfulness endures to all generations. And so the Lord is a a God who cares for us. He's a loving God. He's merciful, not giving to us what we deserve, but He embraces us as His people. And He has made, He has established a covenant with us through Jesus Christ. And He is faithful from generation to generation. You see that He commands the praise Not because he's a self-centered, a dictator who demands worship, whatever the price, whatever the cost. But he loves us and that's why he brings us to perform, to do what we were created to do. And also what we were saved to do, which is to worship him because he's a great Lord and a great king. And in closing now, uh, dear loved ones, if if you are here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot offer true worship to Him. You must come through the shepherd, through the door, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, through the great I Am. He is the good shepherd. He is the only Savior of the world. You must repent and turn from your sins and trust in Him. And for all of us who are in Christ, if we don't look forward to meeting with the Lord to praise his glorious grace, we must ask ourselves some serious questions. And the first one is Am I actually fit for eternity? Am I actually fit for being in the presence of the Lord for the rest of eternity? You see, to dismiss the Lord's call to worship is, or to dismiss it just as something that is optional or burdensome, is to have little desire to be in the presence of the Lord. To worship begins here, here on earth. And no one who doesn't start here will be worshiping God in heaven. That's a sobering statement. But that's why the Lord calls all men to worship Him. And we are vehicles to transmit the message of salvation. Or at least to invite people to come and hear the gospel and to engage in the the worship of God here in the church. You see how the Lord saves us also to uh, be instruments of His glory for those who are lost. And so the Lord commands us to respond when we hear His voice calling us to worship Him. And if you're honest enough, worship may not be the main main thing of your day or the highlight of your day on the Lord's day. Because the Lord's day sometimes can turn out to be something that is filled with activities instead of being a day of rest in the Lord. And people can find all kinds of substitutes for worship. But notice what the author of Hebrews tells us here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much much the more as you see the day approaching, as we see the day of the Lord. And it is a real blessing. It's not a burden to be in the presence of the Lord, to respond to the call to worship, because this is what we were created to do and to be. We were created to be worshipers, and we were saved to be worshipers. And the Lord tells us how we must worship Him now through Jesus Christ and in Him And so this is a true blessing, and it's a true blessing that in this church you have the opportunity to worship the Lord morning and evening. The Lord calls you to to worship Him morning and evening. You hear the call to worship in the morning at 11 a.m. and then at 5 p.m. also. The Lord calls you again to worship Him. It's a beautiful thing to begin the Lord's day with worship and to end, to close the Lord's day with worship in the presence, in the face of our God through Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, it's a great gift. And so may we respond with gratitude by God's grace to His calling, to His mandate for us to enjoy our God, our great King, to rejoice in His presence. And remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said The sheep know me, and I know my sheep. And my sheep, what do they do when the shepherd speaks? When he calls, they hear his voice, and they respond. So may, by God's grace, we be a people that respond with gratitude to what the Lord has done, to who he is and what he has done for us, because he's a great God and a great king. He is our shepherd, and we are the sheep of his pastures. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, thank you, Father, for your word. We pray, Father, that you help us uh, to see uh, that you are God and that you call us uh, to worship you. And that also you call all men. Help us, Lord, to be also instruments of your glory so that they also may join us who are lost to worship your holy name. And so we pray all these things in your name. Amen.